This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Today's guest speaker is a social entrepreneur building digital workforces in developing nations. He has helped over 10,000 individuals rise out of poverty into the new digital economy through his venture, Cloud Factory. Listen in as Mark Sears and I discuss about how connecting people to meaningful work is the solution to enabling Work 2.0 why people play a critical role in driving AI forward, and what Kenya is doing to pioneer digital skills learning in the 21st century. This is Humane. Welcome to Humane. My name is David Jakobovich, and I will be your host throughout this series. Together, we will explore AI through fireside conversations with industry experts. From business executives and AI researchers to leaders who advance AI for all, Humane is the channel to release new AI products, to learn about industry trends, and to bridge the gap between humans and machines in the fourth industrial revolution. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Welcome back to Humane. My name is David Jakobovich. And on today's episode, we have the founder and CEO of Cloud Factory. Mark Sears is a computer scientist by trade and has been working for the last nine plus years on a venture powering AI for over 150 Fortune 500 companies around the world, helping them make better and smarter decisions with their data. Mark, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure, David. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. As someone who works in the future of work and work 2.0, I myself do a lot of reskilling and upskilling of employees all the time. And I love what your company's doing. Why don't you share with our audience how Cloud Factory is training the future workforce? 
Certainly. We are very passionate about seeing people grow and be prepared for the future of work. No question. I, I mean, really, Cloud Factory, we love our clients. We get to work with some of the most amazing tech and AI companies out there. But I got to admit, when it comes to seeing our cloud workers grow and just continue to be promoted and learn and personally, professionally grow. It's certainly the thing that gets us going as a company. We're super excited. So for us, we operate in emerging economies and specifically Nepal and Kenya. And we have over 5,000 very talented people, mostly 18 to 30 years old. Many of them are college students, recent graduates. They are talent that is really not well-connected in the global economy. And so that's really the thing that started this whole thing of Cloud Factory was saying, how do we build a technology platform and coordinate these really talented young people and connect them to the global economy because there's so many people that need data work done. And we did this even really before the need for training data and everything related to AI really boosted this need for data work. So it has been a phenomenal journey just to see the opportunity to take somebody, they come in, they start with maybe a little bit easier task, they go through, unlock new skills, and just get access to more and more work working on different, we call them work streams. And so our clients are constantly streaming work, and we have cloud workers who are kind of resource pooled across different work streams. And so they get to work on a lot of very cool autonomous vehicle stuff in the afternoon. And then maybe they're doing some fashion tagging for an e-commerce startup. And then they're maybe processing some insurance documents or, you know, on and on and on. So they get the opportunity to get exposure to a lot of different types of work, data work, as well as working with some really cool companies. Now, traditionally, when someone thinks of AI, we think magic, right? We think uh, closed loop, it just happens, you snap your fingers, you wave your wand, and the system has this beautiful result. But the truth couldn't be farther from that. And it sounds like a lot of your cloud workers, they start with simple data tasks. It could be such as you know, this is an image of a cat and a dog, right? And then they get to more advanced tasks such as here is a Tesla vehicle and it's moving. And is there a pedestrian in this photo? Is there a box falling off an 18 wheeler in this photo? And so the complexity starts simple and scales quite quickly. What are some of the ways that you help your cloud workers become attuned to being efficient, effective at processing data? Yeah, there's a lot of different a lot of different aspects. Certainly the first and foremost is training, becoming really efficient and effective with training. And that's, you know, there's some art to that and there's a lot of science. So some of that we do really the blended learning model. So both online as well as in person. And so having it's probably a, a very unique aspect to kind of how Cloud Factory manages our workforce. We have a, a hybrid workforce, some of our workforces is working distributed. Some of them are working within one of our managed offices, but even those that are distributed are coming in regularly for training sessions. So as much as we love online training and it's a, it's a big part of it, bringing a group of people into a room for a three-hour session and kind of the format that we've developed to really make that session effective is super important because as much as, like you said, some of the examples of the work of you know a bounding box around cars in this photo, sounds really easy. The nuances, the 
exception cases, corner cases, all of that. And, and really, that's where you get down to the important difference of every percent of accuracy really can make a huge difference. And so how we train is certainly a big part of it. And the fact that some of that is actually face to face, I think throughput and productivity, right? Everyone's trying to say, you know, yes, we need high quality, but we also need a lot of data. And so how can we make sure that our budget for training data can go as far as possible. And so things like productivity, we love creating an environment of kind of bursts and breaks and kind of the Pomodoro technique of having our workers work really, really hard for 25 to 40 minutes and then taking a complete break. So even in some of our delivery hubs, when that timer goes off, literally people will jump up and someone will lead them in some kind of fun exercises and other things that happen. So we have a real culture kind of around, again, that bursts and breaks of working hard and taking breaks. And I think that's a, a really important part too about staying focused. We don't like having people work for too long. Typically they'll work for maybe four hours on one particular work stream to keep really focused. And so we'd like to have them switch it up and do different things, learn new skills, and just really stay fresh with the work that they're doing as well. So there's a ton of things that we try and do to make this work very, very effective for our clients, but also enjoyable for our cloud workers as well. You know, just uh, hearing from you right now, I'm feeling so excited because bursts and breaks is so fun. You know, one of my first jobs when I was in college was a financial transcriptionist before you had products like Amazon Polly. And so I would actually be listening to lawyers and doctors and, and different professionals and be typing with all these shortcuts and phrases to turn the audio into text. And we see how that has evolved as an industry. What I love about hearing about the culture reminds me very much of like Salesforce and Mark Benioff, like really empowering your teams there. And this is at such a polar opposite of what we see in the industry today. You know, there's been news reports from The Verge and other outlets that companies like MegV and SenseTime with, you know, Face++ and these products have these data factories in China where it's almost like Foxconn all over again. But I'm hearing the exact opposite here. And so how did you establish this culture where it led for leadership and the growth of your employees so that they became valuable people in the new knowledge economy. It's exactly it. It's, it's, it's a tough world where everyone's worrying more and more about who's making my data, who's touching my data. It's really, really important. And where it started for us, again, was literally 10 years ago, me and my wife took a two-week trip, a vacation to Nepal, and we ended up meeting some developers there and ended up staying for three weeks to help train them up on Ruby on Rails. And then we stayed for a three-month project. We literally stayed for six years and lived in Nepal. We had our two kids there. And so Cloud Factory, we exist to connect a million people to online work. And we exist believing that talent is equally distributed around the world, but opportunity is not. So it starts and it ends with making sure that we are trying to create good opportunities so I think it's from that starting point, really kind of the DNA and the origin of our business that this happens, but there's a second part to it. Somewhere along the way, pretty early on, I realized I'm a techie, right? I'm a developer. We looked at every problem and said, you know, we've got 55 developers, you know, that are working on software to make this all work better. But as much as I love technology, I realized when it comes down to someone sitting and working on a lot of this data work. We call it the zoom effect and just really taking the opportunity to zoom in one or two more times to, to get that one pixel accuracy around that bounding box or 
to zoom in on that document to say, is that a six or an eight? Really, that comes down to how engaged are people? Or do they really care about the work? Do they understand the context of the data they're working on? Or is this just some kind of micro task work and they have no idea the value of it? And they're just trying to beat an algorithm to make some extra money. So for us, we make sure that people understand what the company is trying to accomplish in the big picture and how the importance of them performing accurate data really can make a big difference in their kind of mission as an organization. So all of those things and kind of how we set things up, it's, it's because it's, it's why we exist as a company, but it's also, I think, why we're winning in the market is because to get that extra percentage, better quality data really comes down to sitting there for a one minute or 10 minute task and just having a different attitude over what you're doing. That's fantastic. And I can see how that makes sense. You know, when I used to get started in that transcription space, you know, it is all about attitude and it is all about the long term, those goals that you're establishing. And a lot of that is knowledge, right? A lot of your cloud workers could be the new startup leaders and the new founders who are going to work on projects in the future. In fact, you know, these cloud workers playing critical roles for driving AI forward. You know, some of your clients include like Drive AI and, and Microsoft and Newtonomy. And, and a lot of these companies are amazing. I even pilot AI. I followed a few of these and they're, they're doing cutting edge things in AI. But the truth still is it's so human powered, right? And why is it human powered? Do you see that changing anytime soon? Yeah, it is very human powered. And to be honest, I think we're still sometimes surprised. So it's not only really Cloud Factory's world with AI companies comes down to two things. One is to help train and sometimes validate as well on the back end those models to see how well they're performing. But the other side is to really augment them and kind of fill in the gap. So we kind of say train and sustain. And really, it's that human the loop that has both sides of training and, and augmenting that we see a huge amount of need for scalable people, people who can really do high quality work. And it's all kind of within a very tech forward friendly way. We believe that the market's learning two things. One is on the training side, the performance of models is very connected to, yes, the quality of data, the amount of data, and the refresh data, but especially the quality of data can make a really, really big difference. And so I think everyone's trying to win, right? Everyone wants to have the most data and the best data because they want to win the market. It's still very early. There's kind of an arms race that's happening with a lot of different industries that our clients are working in. So that certainly is a part of it is we want a lot of data. I mean, I think the other thing that's really happened with, you know, layering of neural networks and, and deep learning is that people are realizing more data used to be that it kind of topped out a little bit. You know, you kind of, the curve started on performance, started to flatten out a little bit at some point where adding another 100 million data points wasn't going to help. People are seeing that actually, no, with more data and more compute, you actually are gaining advantages. And so, so that's just, that requires more people. And the other side of kind of sustaining or augmenting these algorithms is it fills the gap. And really that gets more into the customer experience. So our clients, their customers, so much depends on the quality of that, of that experience. And oftentimes it's related to data, which is being touched by humans in the loop. So I think really on both sides, both to get the best models in production and to fill those gaps in a way that creates the best user experience, it's critical. And when you do that 
at scale because you're a tech company, you need access to a large, scalable, high quality workforce. And, you know, with a large, scalable, high quality workforce, we're seeing products today, especially in the computer vision space, coming to life very quickly. I know you've mentioned a few times about the one pixel and the bounding boxes and image annotation. And I think for the layperson, it's often incredible to even think how computer vision could be possible with autonomous vehicles. And, you know, we're so close, but we're so far. I know uh, Elon Musk gave a talk earlier in April 2019 about, you know, there's one of two directions to get to autonomous driving. It's either going to be with LiDAR or without LiDAR. When you've been having your cloud workers working on computer vision for autonomous driving, I mean, what are some of the big challenges you're seeing them experience as they're trying to solve this problem? Yeah, good question. It is interesting. We work with with currently about 11 of the top Thomas vehicle companies out there. And so we, we get to see people at different stages, you know, using obviously different sensors and different approaches to gather data. I think one thing that we are seeing is certainly is the variety of approaches, right? So variety of maturity within programs, the amount of data and detail. Like it's actually, I would say I'm quite shocked at the variation, which is really interesting because I think what that points to me is that there's going to be some winners and losers. This is not as simple as, you know, invest one to three billion dollars and you're guaranteed to come out with the same level of technology. So I think that's one thing that I can very generically share is that people are running really high quality programs and people are very early and almost much more experimental than I think one would guess. Now, I say that, and I think some of the other challenges, though, that we have from an AV perspective is that the programs are so much agility that's required because everyone's testing back and forth, right? Mm. So the, the feature engineering of let's try doing it this way, let's try tagging this, now we want to try doing that, and we have a new data set. And, and so that, I think, has really helped us to grow as a company overall to just have our work streams be extremely agile. And to really be a close partner to our clients, which is, is very different, you know, to be honest, than even five years ago, where a lot of the work was coming to us via API and was kind of micro-tasked and pretty, pretty routine. And now there's a lot of collaboration, a lot of communication, a lot of kind of retraining and adjustments. And again, I think maybe you can look at that as being a hassle, but we actually love it. It's great for us. It actually kind of helps our model and, and kind of how we do things really stand out in the market, but it also is great for our cloud workers because they're it's just they're having to raise their game as well, and that's just more opportunity for learning, and it's it's a higher level job that, you know, again we mentioned many of them are actually IT students. We have a ton of IT students, so there's no question and recent grads that are trying to start their own company on the side, and so we would love for them to get this sort of exposure, and you know, hopefully part of Cloud Factory success is you've got thousands of you know, young, talented people who are going off to start their own AI companies. That would be phenomenal. And, and I think much of that will be happening over the next few years. There's so much uh, democratization of learning AI happening right now. And particularly, you know, at Cloud Factory, you've had the chance to look under the hood at over 150 companies, as you mentioned, 10 or more in the autonomous vehicle space on building AI. And, and everyone's trying to collect and gather the data and prepare the data. But it maybe wasn't always this way for you and the company. You've had a lot of trying gains. You've learned a lot over 
over the years. And as you mentioned, you're a partner now for a lot of companies, but you may have been a provider before. So love to hear how you pivoted or, you know, uh, found new success for your company over the last few years. Yeah, David, I think there was actually a moment. We have an internal name for it, which I don't think I've ever shared externally, but I'll go ahead and call it the Naivasha moment. So Naivasha is a, a beautiful place just outside of Nairobi. And we had our leadership team meeting there probably, I think it was three or four years ago. And so I remember sitting around that table and this was shortly after, this was just a few months after we lost the biggest deal that we'd ever lost before. And so I personally was running that deal. And so it hurts because we went in and we had one of the biggest, biggest tech brands in the world that was really excited about working with us and was thrilled with kind of how Cloud Factory thinks about impact and the, the talented workforce that we have and the results that they were seeing from some of our referenceable clients. But when it came down to actually doing work, they didn't want to send work to us and to do work kind of using our tools. Even though we built such amazing tools, they just said, hey, like we actually have our own tools, our own platform to get this work done. So we need you to come have your cloud workforce work on our stuff. And we honestly just couldn't scramble enough to come up with the pricing and packaging and the tech and everything to do that. So I walked out of there knowing that we lost the deal that day. And we started to realize that there was a bit of a trend where a lot of our clients felt that it was important for them to have a control over developing the tools to tag the data, annotate the data, categorize whatever they were doing, the data work tools, they wanted to own them. Even if they weren't fantastic they knew some of them believed actually the way that they built those tools could lead to competitive advantages in uh, the tech they were developing. Some of them wanted to have control just to, again, for a lot of agility to be able to iterate really quickly for their data scientists. Hey humans, are you accumulating lots of listening minutes for your podcast, but not being rewarded for your listening time? There's a new app available now called PodCoin where you can listen to podcasts and donate your listening time to charity. PodCoin gives you the opportunity to be rewarded for listening to your favorite podcasts. Whether you're listening to Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, or Terry Gross, or even Humane, PodCoin is the new app for you to give back for your listening minutes. Check it out on the App Store. But we saw that trend, and and so we actually made a pretty big shift in our business to say, how do we take our cloud workforce and adjust our tech stack to get performance management and visibility into the workforce? And how do we change everything so that we can kind of become tool agnostic and allow our, our workers to work on the tools of our clients or the tool of their choice? Because we started to see there's other startups. There was a little industry that was emerging where people were building some of these annotation and NLP tagging tools, et cetera. So yeah, that was a big shift for us three or four years ago. And that Naivasha moment was that we had been experimenting in the market with this very early tested product. It was very early, but there was enough data where we kind of put that up and looked at it as a leadership team and said, let's do it. Let's go after that. And so as a company, you know, it's just been continued huge growth, right? I mean, 20 consecutive growth, uh, quarters of growth and, you know, just a huge demand out there for what we do and, and how we do it. So yeah, I definitely look at that moment as a big learning and glad that we made that shift. 
The consistent theme I'm hearing is that you're focusing on impact. And by focusing on impact, you're changing lives. And uh, recently, I know you've expanded your mission with uh, new opportunities. Uh, one in Kenya, you've partnered with Safaricom Foundation, launching a new digital skills learning initiative. I love everything with digital skills. And in fact, I've been most recently working with uh, the Simons Foundation on a lot of their open source tools. So it's very exciting to see how you can decentralize learning. Love to hear more about this initiative that you're working on. Yeah, we've always been looking for the right time and the right partner to get started. I would almost say above the funnel. So we have such talented people that are coming to Cloud Factory and applying online every day in Nepal and Kenya. And yet we knew there was an opportunity to help people before they maybe kind of got into our our queue and, and began working. And kind of above the funnel digital skills training was something we've been looking at for a long time. Safaricom Foundation came to us and I will remember that first phone call we had, you know, with with the head over there. And I was so impressed with their attitude and real understanding of the need in the market for this. And they'd heard a lot about Cloud Factory in Nairobi and, you know, just the, the growth that we've had there. But specifically, they talked about this idea that there's some people who just aren't getting maybe the same access to the, the online tests and they just, they aren't maybe in the, in the right circles or they've been maybe out of the workforce for a few years, or there was different reasons that were actually, they were barriers to finding and being successful to pass our assessments and, and kind of join the workforce, but it, they were pretty small barriers. And so the idea was, could we even in two weeks with a really well-designed program, could we get people over the hump? And so we, we did a pilot with them and it's been going very, very well. So that's what we're doing is we're trying to say, can we actually above the funnel start to have more people gain the digital basics, real practical stuff, right? I mean, it's even things like, great, you used Microsoft Office, you know, a few years ago and you were really good and effective. Maybe you've been out. Well, let's get you super efficient on, on G Suite, on Google tools, right? Can you use Google Sheets and other things? Because a lot of our clients, that's what they use. And so just starting to get, into really practical, tangible skills to contribute to the knowledge economy today. And so we're thrilled. We've been seeing, I don't know the exact stats, but I remember seeing that our first, I think our first three cohorts, it continued to get better and better where we saw people, I think it was like up to 30 or more percent people were passing our tests and therefore, you know, getting access to employment that wouldn't have otherwise. So, so yeah, Really honored to be working with Paricom Foundation. Paricom is obviously a, a huge name in East Africa and really globally just for their innovation and, and to see them now kind of really giving back by trying to help alongside of us to give these skills to the growing youth of, of Kenya makes us really excited and happy to be partnering with them. Absolutely. And I think one of the most exciting things about running digital training and the future of work is going through the assessment process to constantly tune the learnings and tune the skills that you're teaching so that everyone's having those relevant skills. What are some of the takeaways you've had just in these first few cohorts of you know what's working with skills training online or how you've made some adjustments that have continued to increase that impact? I think the biggest thing that that our team's been working on is trying to really make sure that our criteria for even accepting people in is really clear because there's certain people that we found have been very effective, right? Like their learning curve 
they've just gone so far up it in just two weeks. And there's other, others that, that weren't. And so it was kind of that, again, that idea we've got limited capacity here. How do we really focus on bringing people in that really have some barriers that can be overcome quickly? You know, we don't want to mismanage expectations, you know, and thinking people are going to come in and they, they really don't have high knowledge of computers in general, right? So finding that sweet spot of who are the people who just need that boost to get across the finish line. And then, so I think that's a big part of it. Obviously, the effectiveness of the curriculum and all of that, just iterations that we just all do, I think is, is the standard stuff. But especially in saying, okay, let's make sure that we set people up for success and select the right profiles and personas of people that can really get over the hump and, and join the digital economy. Now, looking at countries that you're working in, like Nepal and Kenya, they're both very rapidly growing countries that are becoming digital and are emerging markets. For people who haven't been to these countries before, can you paint a picture of what is the new Nepal? What is the new Kenya? Yeah, that's really it's a great question, David, because you're right. I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, many people haven't had a chance to go. First of all, I'll start with that. Get on a plane and go. Right? I mean, my goodness, Nepal... Kenya are beautiful. And yes, there's Kathmandu and Nairobi as capital cities. The real fun happens when you get outside and see kind of the real Nepal and the real Kenya. So these are these are beautiful emerging economies that the unemployment though is just really hard to even measure. So you know, 40 to 60% unemployment are easy stats to throw out. But when you start looking at the amount of informal and underemployment that's there. And then you start looking specifically at people who are more kind of 18 to 30, then those numbers go way higher. And you look at the number of college graduates that are happening in both Kathmandu and Nairobi. And so this problem is not getting better. It's actually getting worse. And so you have people who are high English proficiency. They're connected online in their whole social lives, right? So they're taking MIT courses online and living, breathing, WhatsApp, Facebook, you name it, right? I mean, so they are fully digital and English proficient, and they are hungry to really join. And yes, they want to earn. Everyone wants to earn money. But more than that, they're looking for opportunities to really grow and also to connect, right? I mean, a big part of Cloud Factory specifically is we put people in teams. So they actually come in, they join a team of five to 10. They are meeting regularly to do leadership development, go out to community service projects, Uh, We've done over 5,000 community service projects. And so there's kind of this earn, learn, and belong thing that people are joining. And that's really kind of the next generation in general is it's about more than just earning. And I think sometimes that's the mistake that we sometimes have in our mind, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, these are relatively material or financial poor countries. So as long as we're giving jobs and money, then that's, that's actually not the case. I mean, everyone there is actually very hungry looking for a good place to work, a good opportunity to learn and grow. So I think that's one thing that sometimes people are surprised by. I know I was surprised by early, early on many years ago. And these are bustling cities that the growth and the opportunity is just, it's huge. It's phenomenal. It's fun to see. And obviously the talent is just amazing. 
So that's super exciting how the impact is growing the new digital workforce, both in Kenya and in Nepal, but specifically for Africa. I mean, that is one of the most rapidly evolving continents where there is such a digital workforce. I've had the opportunity to work with clients in South Africa and Tunisia and just really start seeing the digitalization and any other innovation efforts you're starting to see happening in Africa. We are seeing a lot of great things. I mean, there's on the high end, there's Microsoft just announced, I think in the last week, a $100 million commitment over the next four years for a new African development center. That's huge news. And people have been building and investing, but it feels like that's just really accelerating right now. And so we, we see stuff like that happen. We see, you know, another partner of ours, Andela, who is doing very similar kind of idea of saying, okay, how do we take talent? How do we use training and technology to really connect them in? So they're doing it with software developers in Africa, trying to find that top, you know, one, two, three percent. And so they're also continuing to grow, you know, very, very effectively as well. So from kind of the smaller startups to the biggest companies in the world, everyone's recognizing that, you know, the world is more connected than ever and talent is, is all over. How do we continue to get access to the best talent to, both grow our companies and also give opportunities to those people who really need and deserve them. I think the other piece you just hit on is right now we're doing a lot of the work with helping people get these opportunities and be reskilled, but it's also about the future of companies, right? And what are these new AI organizations that are going to be the new startups, the new MegV, the new Face++, the new Microsoft? And if I wanted to launch an AI company today, I might say, I'd like to partner with Cloud Factory. And I know you've, you've come with a lot of new solutions recently to help startups start to train their data, label their data. What are some of those solutions that you've been opening up to the world? Yeah, we just recently relaunched our, our products to be very matched to what our clients are most need to get done. So we've been working with um, many, many clients for, for years now, and we realized that specifically there's kind of those two buckets. One is when you're trying to train up your AI. And the other one is when you're trying to kind of fill the gaps of your AI and technology with inserting humans into the loop. And so we came up with train.cv. So training computer vision is, is one product offering and then train.nlp. So for natural language processing, those are really the two use cases and kind of focus areas that we've been investing a lot into and doing a lot of work for different companies. And so we wanted to really kind of fine tune all of the different details around workforce and everything to make sure that we could take all of those learnings and really help accelerate those that are developing computer vision and NLP applications. On the other side, for kind of augmenting and kind of the data processes that are ongoing, we wanted to really also continue to optimize around things like having enough capacity and agility whenever you need something done. So if you need to have enough capacity online to get really quick turnaround, how do we make sure that you do that? And so, so we've got one package that we've designed around that. So yeah, really just beginning to break down our product offering to say, we know after so many years of experience with other companies, what's most important. And let's begin to kind of, kind of pre-configure and pre-tune these managed workforces so that out of the gate, people can kind of benefit from all of that work that we've done over the years. 
So it's amazing how the work streams with your cloud workers are working on such phenomenal AI applications and having worked with over 150 major clients and even a lot of small startups and companies, I'm sure you're seeing a lot of trends in AI, a lot of changes in development and you know your core product work streams are looking at computer vision and natural language processing. One of my mentors who uh, took her uh, training fellowship in New York City last year, Amy Webb, she has her annual future uh, trends reports. And just this past year, so there's over 44 subfields of artificial intelligence that are emerging and getting out in the space. And I know you've highlighted computer vision and NLP. Are there any that perhaps you're thinking beyond these two that could be the next fields that your clients are demanding or companies should start considering to work with as well? Yeah, there's no question that there is a lot of work on the taxonomy of trying to classify different AI work that's coming up, and and we're trying to do the same. So we have a lot of clients who are doing things that don't fit so neatly into computer vision and NLP, as you can imagine. And so, yeah, I don't know if there's anything to call out necessarily right now, but we certainly are continuing to learn what are kind of the common things around data and having a workforce fine-tuned as you apply it to some of these other fields. And so obviously we anticipate continuing to kind of release other things, other workforce product offerings that are, are fine-tuned for, for others as well. But there's, there's no question. I mean, I can't keep track of the different use cases. I'm constantly surprised looking over the shoulder of our cloud workers and seeing the things that we're working on. And it's, some of them are, are not straightforward to classify for sure. And we love that. That's really what it is. In general, we are a custom partner and we are working on so many different applications and ideas. And so, yeah, but uh, I think that's the only thing that we can expect is just more and more innovation as it's applied to, to AI over the coming years. And, and we're just excited to be a part of it. Awesome. And uh, with all the technology changing, what do you think about the future of workforce with being decentralized in the sense of 5G coming around and internet coming from satellites, especially, you know, working with countries like Nepal and Kenya, where there could be some remote regions? How is the access to internet empowering uh, your future workforce to work on these AI solutions? Yeah, it's certainly improving every single year. There's no question about that. And we do believe, like I said, that we have both a distributed and in-house, and I think we'll always have that. But more and more, it's becoming very effective and also more enjoyable for people to have that flexibility of, of being able to work from anywhere. And so there's more co-working that's opening up all over Nepal and Kenya. And so making it effective for people to even find places like that to plug in is certainly something that we're working and experimenting on. There's also for us is a big push to continue to get outside to more and more secondary cities as well. And so that's a that's a really fun thing for us to try and do because there's better and better Internet access. And there's a lot of talent that actually has a lot of pressure to move into the capital cities to try and find work. And so the opportunity for them to stay where they are, to stay with their families, to stay in their communities, to continue to become leaders that can help bring change you know, where they are in Nepal, Kenya and wherever we take Cloud Factory's model next, that's really exciting for us. So so yeah, there's no question that it's becoming easier and better and more effective and for many people, enjoyable. I mean, traffic is rough. And so if people can find effective ways to not just 
we always think about what is the future of, of kind of the best gig job out there is really what we're trying to design. And it's not as simple as working at home alone. And so that's where some of the community and team model aspects of what we do kind of gives that balance where people feel like they're a part of a smaller team. They get together, even if they work from home, they get together regularly every week or every other week. And so, so I think that combination and the way that we're trying to experiment with it will continue to make it, make it more effective and more common to have people working distributed. That's amazing. And, and that really hones uh, home for each and every person that the future of everything is human powered AI. The future of everything is decentralized working and online experiences. And the future of everything are AI powered companies and excited to see what's next from Cloud Factory and perhaps to bring my own venture up off the ground and, and see what that looks like as well. Let's talk, David. Sounds good. Sounds good. Plan. I couldn't agree. Everything you just said, all those statements are true. And some people think they're conflicting, but there's no question that the future of work is human and machine intelligence, finding the right mix of both. And so, yeah, I, we couldn't be more excited about both, right? The opportunity over the coming years, I think there's a lot of negative and fear and you know what? There's no question there's going to be some disruption but I am a, I'm in one of those, I'm in the techno optimist side where I believe that we're going to navigate it well. And that this idea of human flourishing is, you know, we're on a path to accelerate seeing more of that when we do find the right kind of balance and the right roles for human and machine intelligence. And so it's fun to be at the center of it. I'm sure you're excited about uh, being on that cutting edge as well. Fantastic. Thanks for being with us today on Humane, Mark. Great. Thanks, David. Hey humans, thanks for listening to this episode of Humane. My name is David Jakobovich, and if you like Humane, remember to click subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Luminary. Thanks for tuning in and join us for our next episode. New releases are every Tuesday. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.